Uh, this is John Stepling, and this is Aesthetic Resistance, podcast number 61. Uh, with me from Long Island, New York, Hiroyuki Hamada. Hi, Hiroyuki. Hi, John. Uh, in Toronto, or the greater Toronto area, Corey Morningstar. Hi, Corey. Hi, John. Hi, everybody. Hey. And uh, from uh, Sweden in the north, Johan Edebo. Hi, Johan. Yeah, good evening. So um, it's, been, it's been three weeks, roughly-ish, since we did a podcast, so it was a, a bit of a break. Um, and, and obviously, much has happened, and there's, there's a good deal to talk about um, with, with uh, Ukraine, what's going on with the winding down of the pandemic, uh, vaccine side effects, um, uh, the trucker convoy, uh, in, in, maybe Corey can start talking um, about that. Um, and then we'll just get into the, the this this massive propaganda uh, campaign against against Russia. But Corey, you want to start? Sure. I mean, I don't think we've had a podcast since I went to the protest, did we? Have no, we? I, don't I don't think, think so. so. So anyway, I was there until the bitter end. And um, I mean, it was great to go there because it was it was just great to be part of that and to see what that really was. And um, you know, it's just sort of ironic to be there on, you know, Ottawa, which is actually built on the bone, the dust and bones of Indigenous mm. peoples on stolen land, and then to have snipers all over the rooftops wow. pointing guns at us, right? And it was so peaceful. And um, I mean, most people there, um, you know, basically described it as a festival, which is, you know, I would describe it in the same way. And that's very much like the protests that we have in Canada. Um, I knew sort of what I was going going to go to because I've been to so many and I'm Canadian. So I know, you know, what people are like in Canada. So it was um, a real show of solidarity of um, um, people helping one another, of joy, kindness, the sharing of food. Actually, it was so many things that we've actually lost over the past two years. And all of a sudden there, they were present again to partake in um, fires at night. Um, you know, one night was so snowy. I, I felt like I was in the North Pole. You know, you almost needed goggles to see. And there was um, fires and great big bats that people would stand around and talk to. It was really, really a beautiful thing. And the whole time I personally, I didn't meet anyone from the United States, except for in the um, elevator of the hotel, I met a couple of journalists from Chicago, I think from the Tribune. And um, aside from that, it was all Canadians from West Coast and um, East Coast. Um, the I stayed with the, what was it called? The Canadian um, Frontline Nurses, Canadian for Frontline Nurses, I believe they're called. I, they let me stay with them. And we helped the people, there were so many people sleeping in their cars, if you can imagine sleeping in your cars and that kind of, in those kind of temperatures. And um, we would let them come to our room and um, there was so many people helping, you know, letting them shower, getting towels, coffee. Um, there was no money. And so people on the ground were actually raising money through friends and family, um, through work. Um, you know, you saw all day long, little wagons and little makeshift carts pulling food back and forth um 
you know, it's just incredible. Like one, one guy that I met, his name was Dennis. He was from foreign in France and he worked on ships. So he ended up on the East coast and then finally on Vancouver Island. He was there sleeping in his car and he had some dental issues. And um, one of the girls raised a hundred dollars for him and he would not take it. He said, give it, give it to someone that um, needs it. Right. And he was actually working part-time while he was there at one of, one of the few restaurants that were open, you know, serving the people, a, th a little Thai restaurant. And so anyway, it was just actually a really beautiful thing. And, um, you know, aside from the obvious brutality of the Commonwealth um, government that we have here, um, aside from that, the gathering was beautiful. Um, no Nazis, none of that bullshit propaganda, none of, you know, so much bullshit. I mean, the craziest part, obviously, is how the Trudeau and the government and the media all made this massive, massive um, narrative mm. that it was Nazis and white supremacists and this whole Trump thing. It was like this huge, powerful narrative and everyone was hating on them and, you know, kept referring to them as white supremacists and Nazis and that there's you know, because there was a Nazi flag that was there, you know, one flag that came with a great big, huge camera crew that was probably planted by the government. And then during that, at the same time, Trudeau is funneling money into yeah. Ukraine, right? Into this Nazi regime. And then right after, you know, that blows up, that blows up. And now look at what's happened. Now we have um, everyone cheering on actually, um, you know, powerful Nazi regime in Kiev. And it's just incredible. It's incredible. I mean, I, I can't fucking believe it. I, I, like, like we're saying, I feel like we're in the book 1984, mm. right? And now Facebook has announced that they're going to allow um, this hate speech and, and everything. I mean, it's yeah. just wild. It's wild. It's unprecedented. I, I, I mean, I'm as cynical as, as they come and I can't believe it. <laughs> how, how, how insane it is you know i i um <clears throat> i wanted to read a little thing here um apropos of of the 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 nazi issue um <clears throat> the azov battalion and so forth and the the government that that the u.s put in power um stephen walt wrote this in 2018 um and and it was in the nation which is interesting um, and I'm just going to jump into this one section here. Um, quote, no less important, however, is the highly selective nature of the mainstream narrative of the new Cold War, what it chooses to feature and what it virtually omits. Mm -hmm. Among the omissions, few realities are more important than the role played by the neo-fascist forces in U.S.-backed Kiev-governed Ukraine since 2014. <clears throat> Not even many Americans who follow international news know the following, for example, that the snipers who killed scores of protesters and policemen on Kiev's Maidan Square in February 2014, thereby triggering a, quote, democratic revolution, close quote, that overthrew the elected president, Viktor Yanukovych, and brought to power a virulent anti-Russian pro-American regime. It was neither democratic nor a revolution, but a violent coup unfolding in the streets with high level support 
were sent not by Yanukovych, as is still widely reported, but instead almost certainly by the neo-fascist organization Right Sector and its co-conspirators. That the pogrom-like burning to death of ethnic Russians and others in Odessa shortly later in 2014 reawakened memories of Nazi extermination squads in Ukraine during World War II has been all but deleted from American mainstream narrative, even though it remains a painful and revelatory experience for many Ukrainians. That's the end. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but um, it's a very good article and I'll, I'll provide a link uh, when, when, we, when we post mm. this. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, this has just been disappeared in, in Western media. The entire, the entire story has been... Um, very carefully uh, constructed, manufactured, and it essentially is is binary. It's the bad, evil Putin, who is the new Hitler, versus um, the heroic stand-up comedian um, Zelensky, who owns a mansion in um, uh, Florida, South Florida. Apparently, I didn't know that. Anyway. Um, you know, and, and Sean Penn and Anderson Cooper, I just, <laughs> I find this stuff really amazing. Um, it's post ironic, um, you know, talking about the heroism of Ukraine. And I see, you know, I saw little girls at the market today making waffles and selling them for, you know, 25 kroner or something. And they were going to send their proceeds to fight for freedom in Ukraine. It, this is, this is the, like, the new debasement of language. Uh, people just use words like freedom. What does that mean in this context? It has no meaning whatsoever. Um, it, it, it's just, it's just, it's just this regurgitating of of buzzwords, of of code, of familiar um, mm. uh, sentence constructions that that can be applied to you know. Uh, uh, Syria, Iraq, Afghanistan, and now, you know, Ukraine. Mm. Um, anyway, Johan. Yeah, I looked through my, my notes from before, and it's, it kind of seems that we called it a little bit. We, we spoke of this uh, the seamless pivot to Russia from COVID, uh, the, to Russia and the new Red Scare. So it, it was kind of prescient, you know. Uh, and I mean... <clears throat> It had already begun back then in January. Uh, I mean, Jan, you spoke of being more or less uh, astonished with the effectiveness of propaganda uh, a while back. I think it was in, in relation to how, how you read that Norwegians lined up to go and, and shoot at Russians in, in Ukraine. And uh, I remember the bar patrons at a place uh, a friend of mine frequents, they, they were apparently fired up to go fighting way back in early January or so. so I mean, all of this was uh, was meticulously seeded in, in the propaganda machine. I mean, you, you, you can't really recall people doing that for, you know, Yemen or, or Libya, can you? Or, or maybe Iraq. Yeah, boy. But, but the no. thing that freaks me out here, I mean, I mean, I see that every single one of these anti-racist, uh, self-identified leftist activists in my network, that they just are wholeheartedly on board with Western imperialism. I mean, basically oblivious to every basic thing that Chomsky said about the media. And you see, as you mentioned before, you see this weird whitewashing of Hitler, who's now this pretty good guy in comparison to the despicable Putin. Putin, Putin. Yeah, no, the Maddo yeah. blog today actually... 
uh, suggested that Putin was much worse than Hitler. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's astounding. And I can't tell you the number of people, um, uh, a lot of former students from the Polish National Film School, um, no, no surprise there, um, you know, posting on Facebook and, and Twitter and asking me how much I was being paid by Russia for, you know, my irresponsible um, pro-Russian uh, uh, disinformation. Uh, but they know nothing of the story. Nobody has any idea. Um, and, and it's much like the COVID narrative in a certain sense. That, that when you presented people with certain facts, certain questions, you just presented people, the true believers, with questions about um, the lethality of, of COVID and, and all the implications of the experimental vaccine, what might be the side effects, all of these questions, um, it, they were impervious to those questions. Uh, when you ask people, are you aware of, of the right sector, the Azov Battalion, the Svoboda Party? Do you know the history um, of, of death camps in Ukraine? These were the people that were the guards at those death camps in World War II. Um, they unleashed um, maybe the worst pogrom in the 20th century in that part of Ukraine, the same people, Stefan Bandera. Um, mm. They know nothing and they don't want to know, though. There's no, it's, it's like, it should be, it interrupts the, the, you know, the narrative they have in their head and they want to stick mm. to that because that's comforting and they get to boo Putin. And, um, and I wrote in my blog last time, you know, the, the, the litany of anti-Russian films from Hollywood over the last 20 years. Um, and, but perhaps most importantly, House of Cards, the, the TV series that was, that was stopped because of Kevin Spacey's um, alleged uh, misdeeds. Uh, season three, there was a, a character, Victor Petrov, VP, Vladimir Putin, Victor Petrov, um, who's the Russian president played by this Danish actor, Lars Mikkelsen. That I suspect um, is one of the components of this narrative that people have in their head is is the storyline for season three in um, in House of Cards. And, mm -hmm. and I'm just going to say, and then I want to go to Corey, but I just want to add that, I mean, there have been people, Max Perry, you know, full props to Max Perry, um, who has who has been on the right side of this discussion and, and very articulate about it. But, you know, many people um, have, have been very good. Uh, and, and, you know, but I have been attacked, on, you know, from the old counterpunch people. Eric Dreister and Joshua Frank, um, you know, offered nothing but ridicule and snark about this that I was didn't understand imperialism or something. Um, it it is as divisive and 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 also yeah. revealing as as the entire pandemic story has been. And the lines um, are drawn in the very much the same way. It it, it appears, Corey. Well, yeah, I just wanted to add, I mean, very much like um, how conformity is used as a powerful weapon against us. Um, so much so is the power of hatred and weaponizing that hatred. And I just wanted to read a couple, couple short things. Um, so yeah, with the whole thing with Facebook, okaying the hate speech against Russia, 
you know, it came to mind that segment out of um, 1984, a hideous ecstasy of fear and vindictiveness, a desire to kill, to torture, to smash faces in with a sledgehammer seemed to flow through the whole group of people like an electric current, turning one even against one's will into a grimacing, screaming lunatic. Um, that's, you know, out of the two minute hate. And um, when I was when I was writing about Avaz, I think this is from 2012, around that time, 10 years ago, um, I found this paper um, about the behavioral economics of hatred. Um, and this is a little snippet of that. Investigate the supply of hatred. Who has the incentive and ability to induce group hatred? This pushes us towards the crux of the model. Politicians or anyone else will supply hatred when hatred is a complement to their policies. And, you know, over the past month, I've been thinking that, um, you know, just how Hyman's, Jeremy Hyman's, which is the co-founder of Avaz and the sister PR for profit organization or firm purpose, and how he um, explains new power in that way. And new power is um, endorsed by, you know, Richard Branson and the World Economic Forum and all the capitalists in the role they they carry that new Bible or that new power book. Those there's actually a series of books like the Bible. And it's the harnessing of energy, right? Of the crowd to get what you want. And so when I look at this, I see the weaponizing of hatred. You manufacture the hatred and then you harness it, yeah. right? To get what you want. And um, it's just incredible to see how we do this with Libya. We've, we've seen this with so many countries that we should know this inside out by now. And it's incredible how everyone just, you know, rinse, lather, repeat, how everyone gets sucked in again. It's incredible. And it's depressing as fuck, right? And it's hard to understand. And um, especially after the bio labs, you know, after they were caught red handed in the biggest fucking lie ever. And, and there's no disputing what that was. <laughs> and yet it just continues. You know, right. it's just well, fun. I mean, it's interesting. I, I just not to interrupt you, but, no, but the done. New York Times actually did publish an article that tried to explain away the bio labs. Um, but this was, you know, a couple of days after Victoria Newland admitted it um, before Congress, I guess it was. Uh, so so, you know, and somebody linked that on on my Facebook page. See, see, the bio labs aren't true. Um I want to also inch into a into a topic that I think is uh, complex and uh, one I I'm I have yet to really um, formulate a, a a critique for, but that is the linkage between the Great Reset, this global state of emergency that um, came out of of the SARS virus. Uh, and the new, like, hysteria, this, the, not the fact that Russia reacted mm. to endless provocation, um, but, but that, that, that Russia's reaction then triggered, uh, unleashed this massive, massive Russophobic propaganda yeah, campaign, yeah, yeah. unimaginable <clears throat> levels of 
of vitriol and and as we've just discussed that 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 Putin is actually worse than Hitler. Now, the the secondary um, the, the B story in this is the rehabilitation of fascism, the rehabilitation of Hitler, even the Third Reich. And I said in one of my blog posts that I felt people found the idea of a new Cold War very attractive, that it was sort of nostalgic and cool and retro. And uh, they liked the clothing styles and it was all sort of, you know, um, very appealing in a way. And it provides a certain degree of meaning in, in a lot of people's very empty lives. I think maybe overall increasingly empty lives, uh, but I don't know. Mm. Um, but, but that now we see that was just the first installment chapter one yeah, in, a, yeah. in a broader rehabilitation of fascism per se. And this is something that has preoccupied me a lot this last year. If, if you read my blog at all, the, the linkage operation paperclip and the, the, the uh, poaching of Nazi scientists and uh, bringing them to the U S Walt Disney and relationship with Werner von Braun and, and on and on and on and on and on and on and on. I mean, it was really quite extensive. So fascism never went away and it is being repackaged now. Yeah. And, uh, and they are, they are testing the waters. They are this, this Maddo blog where the guy, suggest Putin is worse than Hitler feels like a, a kind of, you know, trial balloon mm. of some sort. Mm. Um, and it may have been actually Jake Levitch that used that phrase, but, uh, and, and that feels correct to me. There, I, I think we're seeing, and, and of course we saw it with COVID too, you know, we saw it with the overpopulation stuff. We've seen it with climate. These the purveyors of this, this kind of, uh, crypto nazi ideology are all the same people are all the same players anyway johan and then hiroyuki we're, yeah, maybe, we're, maybe hiroyuki wants to say something first well i i'm, I'm just listening to you guys and uh, I, I totally <laughs> you know um uh no doubt uh, everything you say are totally uh what i'm feeling and um um but um I'm, I'm just feeling it and uh, it's uh it's uh, a tremendous thing to actually um, uh, see things unfold, th see things that I've been uh, writing. Um, mm. Writing, this is a capitalism, this is a structure of exploitation and people mm. are deceived in many, many ways and they go against their interests to prop up the structure. And, um, uh, you know, the, it's, and it works tremendously well, mm. and um, um, and but that of course that doesn't you know do anything. Um, um, you know I feel like completely uh, useless, and um, and I, I get attacked too uh, for saying uh, just you know cogent observation about yeah. Ukraine. You know because it's it's obvious that the uh, um, you know, it's, it's one of those countries that, um, that's around uh, the imperial target. And mm. those countries are often um, infested with nationalism, fascism, um, uh, Al-Qaeda terrorists, because 
the empire uh, uh, put them there and uh, mm. try to destabilize the uh, target uh, countries and make excuses to attack and do things and uh, put sanctions and uh, all that. So it's it's so obvious and um, uh, but yet the people who are suffering from whatever they they get uh, from the uh, the pandemic narratives, uh, the the lockdowns and. Uh, um, mm. The, the anger that are totally suppressed and the only way they can express is to go against each other and mm -hmm. uh, so and yeah. there is this uh huge supply of power uh, um, which Corey just explained uh, you know which can be harnessed by the uh, establishment to mobilize the mm -hmm. policies um, war, uh, green capitalism um, uh, restructuring society with lockdowns and um, uh, digital digitalization financialization and all those all those things that are totally like dreams of neoliberal uh, you know uh, apologists they, they would dream about those things and uh, they can just do it because of Russians because of uh, virus and whatever um, but the thing is the, it seems like just like the the the, the virus situation uh, the facts are just obvious and um, the expiration date is rather short. I mean, you know, all the doctors are uh, saying things and uh, the health professionals uh, would protest and, you know, say the right things, although they can't really say things because they get fired. Um, but this uh, thing about Ukraine, it, it's, it, the facts are so... Um, glaring it, it's just mm. uh, uh, so i would think the expiration date is kind of short with this one too mm -hmm. and um uh, and i i would imagine those people who kind of suspected something was going on with a virus would look at this situation and oh my god this is kind of similar mm. you know so <laughs> it's um you know it's a double edged uh sword you know what they're doing um um yeah you know uh, I, let me go to johan first and then Corey, you want to say something i see too um but johan you go and then i'll mm -hmm. conclude this all. yeah yeah sure I, I mean i was in relation to what Corey said just i was also struck by this uh, i mean this seething visceral hatred that's evident in, in people's posts i mean this this palpable rage directed against against Putin and and Russians for, for no real rational reason at all, but but I mean as you say here you there, there's a reason that it's it's called the five minutes hate and the hate week in an Orwell's novel because you can't keep this stuff going forever. I mean it, it has an expiration date and and that's a really good point I think, but but also John you asked what the relationship and you were touching upon that as as well Hiroyuki what the relationship between the well the COVID propaganda institution and and the the pivot to to Russia is and I think that's a good question to, to discuss because I don't think this development is accidental and I think it. 
it has a, a clear structural relation to what was going on the last two years. And I mean, I'm inclined to consider it to some extent a kind of structural phenomenon because we, we established this huge institution of propaganda and it ran its course. And then you had the remaining structures and the, the institution in place, so, which you could just fill with, with something else, new content. Uh, but uh, there might be intentions there as well, of course. So, um, Yeah, Corey? Well, I just thought we could talk about maybe what is it that they want, right? And then that brings us back to basically the Great Reset, right? And the rolling out, the dismantling of, yeah. the, of the controlled demolition of the global economy, the work, um, you know, the destruction of the working classes, even the middle classes, um, and the restructuring of the global economy, um, you know, to sort of try to keep this thing going. Um, late stage capitalism, I wanted to say, I mean, some things are very, very clear what's happening. Russia's being blamed on like the gas prices, I think in the US and Canada, and perhaps yeah. where you are too, John, have reached yeah. um, the highest, the highest in, in history ever, right? And they're already talking of food prices on the way, and it's all being blamed on Russia. Meanwhile, um, Canada hasn't imported any crude from Russia since 2019 and the petrol products that we've imported, I think are $350 million last year out of 32 billion. So like on, on a graph, you know, barely shows up. And so it's not the case, but that's what's happening. And so under the guise of hatred and hence yeah, yeah, more yeah. reason to, to hate Russia, um, they're going to um, further um, impoverish us and crush us with food prices. Um, they'll be able to get us to eat the gene edited and CRISPR food. When there is no food, people will eat what you know, whatever they can. And this is a great opportunity to um, you know, put that out now in the market. Um, I'll probably start in the global south first, obviously, wherever there's no food and, and it will come to us. And then well, different things like Gates nuclear program um, will expand. Um, all kinds of different things will be going on in the background. You know, yeah. we'll be rolling out. The, the I mean, we talked before we started recording the gas prices, um, petrol prices uh, in Norway are, are at all time highs. But more interesting is, and you know, we're talking Norway here, the, the poster uh poster child for like the advanced west or something plentiful of everything rich organized tolerant all of these kind of this mythology uh and and increasingly there are empty shelves in supermarkets i went i went shopping today uh with the boys and 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 my wife and uh there was no flour to make bread Oh, that's stunning to me. There, yeah. we, you know, we were going to make a cake as with powdered sugar, no powdered sugar. Um, this has just happened over the last month, I think, that that it has become really acute, and it it has. Um, I'm I'm seeing people now kind of frantically stocking up on things, like a siege mentality is taking place. It's all very strange, you know, because again, this, I feel like when I, I read people, Americans in particular, because I still know so many Americans, there is this feeling of, of that they exist in a movie. This is a movie. This is the new Netflix, 
90 minute film. I, there was an article sent to me today, uh, a San Francisco hedge fund manager is packing up his business and going to go fight in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 um, it's, it's, there is this level of unreality. There's no question. And among the, I think that this podcast will have a lot of links posted um, because I want to include that John Mearsheimer lecture from 2015, that short French documentary on Donbass because it's the only one of its kind and it's very good. And, and it begins with Poroshenko's speech about their children will be in cellars while our children go to school. This, this is what you're aligning yourself with, you know, um, swastika wearing thugs, um, absolute pure full tilt fascists. That's who you're aligned with. That's your, your freedom, uh, that you're fighting for in Ukraine, apparently. And, and, uh, it, it is, it just feels like some final stage of, of the spectacle has been reached now. Uh, and, and, uh, the, yeah, the children of the children of the children of the computer age are now maturing and, and are, are making decisions and holding opinions and shaping public opinion and they live in a movie. They live on screen. And just one final comment. I want to go to you, Johan. The, the, you know, remember when when those first photographs came out from Wuhan that a virus, mm. there was a pandemic, and we saw guys in hazmat suits and dead bodies on the street. And those photos quickly disappeared and weren't mentioned again because they didn't correspond to COVID symptoms. You know, who was that? Where was that staged? What was that about? Uh, so, so at some point you, you, you cast your mind back to that opening phase and think Mm. who was Mm. pushing that narrative, you know, Bill Gates, the people at the, you know, um, world health organization, the CDC, the U S government, a lot of European governments were on board very quickly, but, but China, you know, China released um, a lot of stuff in those first few weeks, a lot of information in those first few weeks, and it was gobbled up and repurposed very quickly. And so, mm. you know, now we cut to uh, Russia, in quotation marks, invades Ukraine, uh, a context free narrative that's mm. from a Western, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so I, I encourage people to read Franco Moretti's essay on film noir and Westerns um, mm. in his book on the U.S. Uh, that's that's what that's what we're seeing here, I think. And that's how people are looking at it. The idea that that anybody in the, of the American public, people who watch MSNBC or CBS or CNN and here in Norway, NRK and whatever, the idea that they would bother to look up the Bucharest declaration or how the coup happened in 2014 or Putin's speech to the UN in 2015, that, that people like John Mersheimer and Stephen Walt were warning this was going to happen, that, that, that the expansion of NATO or, or what happened with, with Georgia and South Ossetia, uh, when when the U.S. first floated Georgia and Ukraine as candidate countries 
um, to join NATO. Uh, th that's all. Nobody has any idea about any of that. It's just, you know, it, it's simply a big black hole that that the majority of people know nothing about. And then there are people. Then there is this left. Um, I'm sorry to go on so long. Um, there is a segment of the left. You know, Chris Hedges is the poster boy for this. But but there are, you know, many and we all know them. And I'm becoming more I'm. I don't care anymore when I name names because I just don't give a shit anymore. But um, people like that who are kind of reverse the narrative, you know, Russia has been an imperialist country for 300 years. Somebody said to me and I thought, huh, what? <laughs> um, uh, you know, and that somehow everything the U.S. does is, has actually done um, is being blamed on Russia. And, and you want to remind people that, during the African independence movement, it was the Soviet Union and Cuba that fought for alongside, you know, the young countries battle for independence. It was the United States that fought against it. The United States helped assassinate Lumumba and put Mobutu in power. The U.S. has worked with Papa Doc and Baby Doc and Trujillo and Rios Mont and um, you know, every dictator in the world and the, is the U.S. and NATO that destroyed Libya and has attacked Syria and occupied Afghanistan for 20 years and invaded Iraq. The, you know, the the litany of of atrocities is so long that that your your brain freezes. And yet and yet it is Russia to blame for everything because they have three bases outside their border and the U.S. has 900. So, of course, it's Russia that's the imperialist power. OK, Johan. Yeah, this is kind of just tangentially related, but, but I think it's significant. Uh, and I, I was interested in, in uh, your, your, all of your perspective on this, uh, this, this incredibly bizarre change in, in Facebook and Instagram policy that now allows us to, to publicly call for the murder of Russian individuals. I mean, how is this not the most blatant form of hypocrisy and, and the explicit admission of being uh, an active propaganda tool for, for Western geopolicy? I mean, they even make an exception for supporting Azov uh, as, as well. You know, it's amazing. So, True. Yeah. 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 Well, you wrote me this week, I remember, and said, I, you know, each day another line is crossed yeah. that I never thought would be crossed. And yeah, that's how I felt when I read that. It was on Reuters, you know, that first yeah. article. Yeah. And I thought, what in the what? Am I reading this correctly? <laughs> like, I, you know, OK, he has no hate speech unless. <laughs> You know, unless it's against Russians. By the way, we're canceling the Tchaikovsky concert and banning Dostoevsky. I mean, <laughs> taking vodka off the shelves at the duty yeah, free shop at the Oslo airport and, you know, on and on and on and on. And on. Yeah. Um, it's just comical in a way, except, you know, except it's not. Um, but you have to remember just one other sidebar. You have to remember that. Um, that it was the United States, Hollywood. I mean, Hollywood is so culpable in all of this. Mm. And they were the ones that made that comedy about assassinating the leader of North Korea. Yuck, yuck, mm. yuck, har, har, har. Uh, and and the, the Hollywood, I mean, television certainly is 
I mean, is just uh, a factory for for these jingoistic recruitment shows for for the military. I mean, find me a show, a cop show or a drama in which the backstory does not include uh, a military service spoken of reverently. Find me just one. Um, I defy you. It's it's virtually impossible. So, uh, you know, that that kind of ushers in um, a whole set of other questions about the, the psychology of people. And you touched on that now, Johan. And so I open that up to people, too. But also, I mean, just to get back to the reset and stuff, because I have seen a lot of articles. Oh, it's a currency war that's happening oh it's um you know it's part of the reset and it's it, there's no war really taking place it's all sort of me that kind of stuff um and i understand it in a way i'm not even saying it's not true to some degree i don't know but but uh i suspect there's a lot of balls in the air you know i mean there's a lot of moving parts here and the u.s reaction i mean that's what it has to be focused on Russia begs the UN in 2015. Um, they are bombing people in Donbass. 14,000 civilians, many children, hundreds of children dead. Uh, and the UN, you need to do something. You have to rein in the Nazis in Kiev. Something has to be done because there is a point beyond which we can't tolerate this. And that includes moving military infrastructure up to our border and into Ukraine. And, you know, it's the Cuban Missile Crisis thing. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's Russia's articulation of their Monroe Doctrine, I guess. But the point is, the US reaction and European reaction has been really shocking. I said that on TV the other day, that, that listening to, to government spokespeople from Scandinavia, from Germany, my God, France, Spain, Italy, aye, 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 um, has been has been really stunning because they sound like unapologetic fascists, and and they are echoing what the U.S. is saying. They follow that storyline exactly, and so you have to look at what was the U.S. reaction. Why was the U.S. propaganda so? immediate and so extreme that's kind of my question jumbled in with all those other ones those things i mean the the things we perceive are really uh, controlled and uh, uh fabricated and uh, um it's just not true like uh yeah like it, it, um for instance the uh um, the the uh, reactions of the uh, governments, uh, uh, China, China reacted differently. Uh, they uh, understood uh, the uh, uh, the political dynamics and uh, all the uh, things NATO has been doing, and they noted those things. And uh, Cuba did the same thing, and uh, I think some other country did did uh, other countries. Uh, uh, stated those things, but those things, none of those are uh, on the news. Um, we don't even know. It's like um, all all the countries are um, uh, unified, and they totally agree with this idea of um, Russia unprovoked uh, did unprovoked attack against Ukraine, and um, and if you say anything about Nazi. Uh, 
the president is a Jew. Uh, what are you right, talking right. about? You know, so <clears throat> like um, the, it, the talking points are already set in stone. And uh, you can't really talk about facts. Like, you know, it's if it's unprovoked, uh, the eight years of shellings by the uh, Ukrainian government is right at the door, you know, because it's right. unprovoked, you know. So right. and, and if it's Jewish president, all the things about Nazi, uh, that's gone, too. Mm. So it's... Um, uh, it's it's really uh, I mean I, I don't want to uh, um, you know uh, just sit down and admire what they're doing but but this is really, uh, you know scientific uh, manipulation it's yeah. it's uh, appalling and it's all unjust and inhumane and uh, undemocratic and uh, it's it's just uh, uh, horrible. Uh, let me just let me just as I'm going to read you another paragraph from um, Stephen Walt's article in The Nation um, from 2018, talking about America's collusion with Nazis in Ukraine. Uh, that stormtroop like assaults on gays, Jews, elderly ethnic Russians and other, quote, impure, close quote, citizens are widespread throughout Kiev-ruled Ukraine, along with torchlight marches reminiscent of those that eventually inflamed Germany in the late 20s and into the 30s. And that the police and official legal authorities do virtually nothing to prevent these neo-fascist acts or to prosecute them. On the contrary, Kiev has officially encouraged them by systematically rehabilitating and even memorializing Ukrainian collaborators with the Nazi German extermination pogroms and their leaders during World War II, renaming streets in their honor, building monuments to them, rewriting history to glorify them, and more, end quote. Um, this is 2018. This, um, this, this is... Uh, this is who the U.S. backs, and it's it's who the U.S. always backs, you know. Um, anyway, uh, I'm hold on here. I'm yeah, I'm getting lost. Corey, yeah. Oh no, I think um, five minutes ago or so, you really nailed it. You know, talking about the basically the depravity and the trail of death. You know that the U.S. and the NATO states leave all across the planet and have done so right for decades. And it's amazing to me, like really, if you think Canada, the Americans, if Russia were to set up military installations or um, base, you know, bases on our borders, they wouldn't last eight hours, let alone eight years. Right. I mean, the tolerance actually has been incredible, you know, on part of Russia and the um, measured response, I would say. And so um, it's just incredible. And then, you know, again, I, we just go on about this, it seems, but Yemen, like how come no one gives a fuck, you know, about Yemen and all the, I'm, I don't even know at this, I don't even know today how many children and citizens have died there. Um, there's no hatred towards Saudi Arabia. I think I read right. today that they executed or beheaded 40 people. There's there's no hatred there. There's no hatred towards yeah. the, um, the most ruthless, um, you know, quote unquote leaders, states well, on the planet. Just to, 
just to quickly, last thing I read on Yemen was half a million people died from military yeah. assault, but another half a million estimated have died from cholera, diseases of insanitation, exposure, neglect, and starvation. Right. So it's truly just you hate who they tell you to hate. Oh, Simon says, Simon says, you know, you, you hate Russia, right? Everybody jumps. And now there's a new really depraved thing happening, this glorification of children taking up weapons in Ukraine. Oh, my God. Yes. Oh, fuck me. Yes. I have Vanessa Beely had such a good tweet about that. Mm. Glorifying the heroism of Ukrainian child soldiers. Um, and and I thought, right, but there were other articles, Vanessa linked them, demonizing um, Yemeni children uh, and their horrible parents <laughs> um, because they were fighting against the Saudi aggression. And remember, the U.S. was in Riyadh. The U.S. had high-ranking Pentagon guys in country in Riyadh from day one helping orchestrate the bombing of Yemen, and um, and and certainly the UK uh, gave you know enthusiastic support to all of this as well because they sell a lot of weapons to Saudi Arabia. No, it's appalling. I mean, you know, the Saudis still execute uh, women for being witches. That is, behead them in the town square. Um, they execute teenagers. They they execute people as heretics, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. All of that's fine. You know, Tom Friedman wrote a glowing um, puff piece about uh, Bin Salman, and then Bin Salman went mm. out and sent his you know his hit squad to dismember Khashoggi uh, in Istanbul, and that that kind of put a you know. Uh, um, uh, a, a monk on, on Friedman's enthusiasm slightly. Um, you know that that hit squad called, and I forget what they're called, they, they have diplomatic immunity so they can carry their forensic tools with them through airports, mm. their bone saws and stuff. That's how ghoulish this shit is. Anyway, um, Johan and then Hiroyuki. Yeah, this, this kid from, from Eritrea caught a ride with me back from church today because we, we both live in the same town over. And we started talking about the, the, the war and all that. And, and um, he, he turns 18 in a few days, but he gets the whole picture, I think. He asked me, why, why is everybody up in arms about this particular conflict? But nobody says a word about Yemen. And I suspect he thought about also the, the ethnic cleansings going on back in, in Eritrea, which, which we never hear about. I also spoke to my, my priest this morning as well. He's from Nigeria and he says pretty much the same thing. I mean, Russia, sure, it's terrible and all, but what about the Congo and the three decades of uh, fomented wars for coltan and diamonds? What about the fact that if, if any African country happens to elect a leader that actually tries to support his people instead of like funneling capital and resources to the West, he gets cooed or, or whacked? Yeah, but I mean, yeah, you know, the, the established middle class activist left—they they don't see this anymore. It's—it's it's like, you know, Jacques Ellul—he he said something to the effect that the half-wit intellectuals, a little bit up in the social hierarchy, they are easily the, the those most affected by propaganda, and I think that's entirely correct. Yeah, well, they absolutely are. They absolutely are. That's a—that's a, a an enormous topic that's worth digging into at some point. But Hiroyuki. Well, I just wanted to add uh, uh, that uh, Vanessa Bailey had a really nice article about the uh, uh, the Ukrainian government uh, inviting uh, uh, the Al Qaeda people from Syria 
and um, um, th this is a, I mean, it's significant uh, uh, development um, considering the uh, historical uh, facts of the U.S. Uh, um, diving into this uh, uh, invasions after invasions. Uh, because of Al-Qaeda, and uh, now uh, the Ukraine can work with Al-Qaeda, and, um, and we can support Nazi, and uh, uh, it's just extraordinary. And uh, I posted about it, and somebody said that, well, Ukraine is in trouble, and they, they are weaker, and they, they need help. Um, <laughs> so, so there's a huge blockage of... Um, uh, everything else except uh, the fact that Putin is uh, this evil individual. But, but then again, uh, I mean, I, I, I keep wondering, I mean, seriously, not a uh, uh, rhetorical question. What's so evil about Putin compared to uh, any of the US president? For example, mm -hmm. President Obama is considered to be a great president by many people, but he right. bought seven countries, he caged children, and he was a big banker president, and he implemented all kinds of uh, capitalist restructuring onto every layer um, uh, of our society. And um, uh, we have poverty, uh, kids are starving, and people die of treatable diseases. And uh, I mean, he was engaging in assassination of just innocent people by drones. It, they yeah, had, yeah. You know, they, they call it disposition matrix or something like that. Some, uh, <laughs> some, some <clears throat> uh, harm. I mean, well, I mean, and look at look at about it, you know, yeah, I, I, look at the I think it's important to actually to mention the destruction of Yugoslavia, the former mm, Yugoslavia, yeah. right? Uh, because for one thing, uh, the US military hit a hospital. Um, in Belgrade, and I forget the name of the hospital, Misovich Hospital. Uh, and then they said, oh, oops, that was a mistake. But they also hit a Chinese media center. Oops, that was a mistake, too. Uh, and and poisoned that country, Serbia, what is now like Serbia, uh, with depleted uranium. Cancer spikes have gone up 5,000% or something. I've written about this. They illegally kidnapped Milosevic took him to The Hague, where he died eventually, uh, put him on trial, a trial that went very badly because Milosevic was actually trained as a lawyer, but never mind. Uh, so they sort of shut that down. And then, you know, half a dozen years after his death, uh, I mean, like five, six years after his death, uh, Milosevic is quietly acquitted of all wrongdoing, and that's on page 27 mm. of the New York Times. The trial of the century was on the front page. Christine Amanpour, who had a conflict of interest since her husband's Jamie Rubin, who was Clinton's, you know, right-hand guy at the time. Uh, you know, Hillary Clinton bragged about encouraging her husband to bomb Belgrade, which he did for three months this is all okay. This is all forgotten. You were stopping a genocide that, of 
course, never happened, but it doesn't matter. Um, there were rape camps. All oh, Milosevic was the butcher of the ball. None of that was true. None of it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, and, and uh, you know, Chris Black, uh, who I've had my disagreements with, but uh, was, was one of the lawyers defending Milosevic at The Hague. And Chris was great uh, in doing that. And, and he's somebody to talk about. But I'm just going to mention George Samueli's book, Bombs for Peace, Diana Johnstone's book, Fool's Crusade. If you want the story of Yugoslavia or <clears throat> the more condensed version is Ed Herman's four-part article in Monthly Review, um, Dismantling Yugoslavia, I think it's called. Uh, this is all okay, you know? And this was NATO again, too. This is NATO. Gee, I... I can't imagine why Russia's nervous about NATO moving, you know, miles from their border. I, I don't understand why that would bother them, right? It's it's just madness. It's all such madness. Um, anyway, uh, Johan? Yeah. Hello. I mean, you don't have your hand up. I just, I have to call on somebody. <laughs> yeah. And, it, you know, uh, this, uh, this left liberal whitewashing of, of Hitler, I was thinking about that. I mean, it's actively in protection of the system's priorities, and it comes from the liberal left. I mean, is this perhaps, you know, something like the, the true face of this uh, strange woke conservatism when it, you know, becomes emergent in the geopolitical sphere? I mean, since postmodern identity politics were always, uh, in some sense, enmeshed in Western consumerism and, and lifestyleism, isn't this what we should expect in some sense as well? Um, yeah, and I'm going to, uh, <clears throat> and then Corey, I want you to, to answer that because I know you 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 mm -hmm. had your hand up there. But I want to read this quote um, that that I came across um, by Thomas Mann, uh, uh, the the German novelist, um, and and he wrote this. I don't know. Um, quite a while ago, obviously, because he died, I believe, in the late 50s or 60s. Anyway, Mann wrote, to place Russian communism on the same moral level with Nazi fascism, because both are totalitarian, is at best superficial. In the worst case, it is fascism. He who insists on this equality may be a Democrat. In truth and in his heart, he is already a fascist and will surely fight fascism with insincerity and appearance, but with complete hatred only for communism. Uh, that's such a great quote, I think, um, because that's partly what we're what we're seeing now. I mean, all of the, for as far as I'm concerned, uh, uh you know, people like Hedges, gatekeepers like Hedges are are collaborators. Um, and the the gang at Counterpunch, on oh, fuck them, um, they're collaborators with with the enemy, as far as I'm concerned. Corey, I just wanted to touch upon a couple things this week as well. Um, that ES um, G investing, which is um, environmental, um, what's it called? Environmental, social, and corporate governance. Basically, that's what it is, and it's like a huge thing now. Anyway, um, Europe has actually adjusted their policies um, 
to accommodate what is it Sweden's biggest banker banker um, yeah SEB AB one of Sweden's biggest banks is reversing a ban on investing in weapons as it adjusts its sustainability policy to match Europe's new geopolitical reality and that was within a I think a Bloomberg Markets article on banks change course on weapons finance is defense spending soars. So, you know, good way to get um, debt economy going again. And then I, I also wanted to touch base just back again, sort of to the propaganda that we see. And you have on Twitter, Facebook, Halo, all part of the whole COVID thing with the UN um, controlling and um, pushing forward that whole narrative and that whole um, push, you know, to get everyone on the planet um, jobbed with the experimental injection. Um, at the same time, I came across this thing. I hadn't been on Twitter for a couple of weeks. I think I had to take a break from it because it was so crazy. But I went on and right away on two different browsers, this thing, this thing came up. News from Ukraine, as it happens, stay informed through experts and on the ground sources. And this was um, curated by Twitter, right? It's their list. And so I was, you know, like what it, I knew. I obviously knew what it was going to be. So anyway, it's 54 members on March 8th. That's when I opened it. And it had 56,000 followers already. And then today I did it again and it has over a million. Um, there's 50, 55 accounts here. And it's just, um, you know, just another way. I mean, remember the censorship, I think, which we spoke of the last podcast and how people were cheering it on in the past two days. There's just um, a frenzy of YouTube accounts being deleted. They're purging um, tons yeah, and tons yeah. and tons of accounts, right? And so yeah. I think we're going to see soon that we have, you know, basically hardly any platforms left. And then we get into the whole thing, master's tools, and so, you know, I think you can say that the people, the pocket of people that have done a great job on, you know, destroying the whole, uh, the COVID narrative, um, exposing it for what it is, bringing um, truth out into the light, have done such a good job that now they're actually purging and deleting accounts, right? They can't yeah. really keep up. They can't keep up. They can't keep up. Right. And, and with Ukraine, it seems evident that they um, are very determined to, to keep this narrative, to keep building this hate campaign. And they're going to start, it seems to me, at least just to um, take it right over with their own list, their own experts and try to get rid of any opposing voices, anti-war voices. Right. Right. Um, well, I mean, you know, the. I was just looking here for um yeah, and then some of the some of the big media ones that they um promote were created honestly in January of 2022, the new voice of Ukraine, right? Like um presented as this huge independent media outlet in Kiev, and then another one um was um joined Twitter in November, right? Just a few months ago. So it's all, you know, put together really, really quickly. And it's all USAID, NED um, media outlets that were created with Chatham House, everybody else. Um, all the stuff that, you know, that's been developed since the coup, since the coup in 2014. Right, right. Well, I mean, again, <coughs> um, 
the the U.S. reaction is is kind of remarkable, and and as Hiroyuki noted, China and Iran um, are are obviously not going to to um, side with anybody in this except Russia. Uh, and and the question that you know, as we started this whole podcast with, is what what was Russia supposed to do? You know, because people are always rhetorically asking me, well, so you're you're supporting an invasion. People are dying and people are being displaced and everything. I, you know, and you just want to I, I, I want to get out this like the role call of American atrocities again and point this out. And that as you know, back to Vietnam, that the U.S. intentionally bombed, intentionally bombed hospitals during Vietnam. Uh, this, this is, this is, this is what the imperialist war machine has done for eighty years. And there used to be a left and a counterculture, underground press. There were people that that understood this and attacked the U.S. for that. Um, but there are precious few anymore. The mainstream left liberal press, I don't know what you call them, the revisionist left or something, um, the laptop left, the, you know, I don't the know. Shit left. Uh, <laughs> the um, tenured left. Um, these are, these are very clearly not leftists. And, and I don't think they're Marxists. I don't think they're socialists or communists. Um, and, and they're not critical of U.S. imperialism. And that's, that's the reality. They just, they're sort of tepid reformists of some sort for a, you know, a, a better form of capitalism or something. Um, Corey, yeah, and then here are you. Okay, so I'll just go quick while I can find it. I can't put my hand up anymore because Zoom now has a great big ad on it trying to make me upgrade or something. So anyway. Um, what you were just talking about, about that, I just want to read from, um, a site which we can link to. Here's the introduction. It was just published two days ago. Um, most commentary on Western progressive and radical media on events in Ukraine has failed to acknowledge the right to self-defense of the Russian Federation and its allies. Um, it goes on. This is one more example of the way North American and European progressive and radical movements collaborate with the ruling classes, just as they generally did over their government's repressive economic and social measures addressing COVID-19. The very Western movements claiming to be morally superior to both sides in the Ukraine war do, by doing so aid and abet U.S. government Sorry, the U.S. government is NATO allies and they're not Nazi sympathizer protégés in Ukraine. Um, anyway, it's a great article and maybe we can just link that and on the podcast. Who wrote that? Um, Stephen Sefton. He's in Nicaragua. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, well, I'm going to link Jim Cavanaugh's piece I thought was very good too. There have been a lot of people who have written some very good stuff. Hiroyuki? Oh, I just wanted to... Um... Uh, um, add to uh, what you were saying about the, uh, uh, the deterioration of uh, anti-war uh, left uh, opposition to the uh, mainstream uh, forces. Um, I think um, uh, it, it's very, very uh, prominent and um, um, it's, it, it's like a grassroots uh, um, 
uh, imperialism. It, it's it mm -hmm. totally uh, 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 doing the job of uh, what CIA would do. Uh, I mean, you know, like uh, yeah. those people would round up uh, uh, people among themselves who would say things that are unacceptable and they would cancel those people and uh, shame those people. And uh, I mean, people talk about uh, censorship in Russia and China and all that. Um, but if you have those, uh, uh, the, the CIA uh, grassroots uh, agents uh, everywhere in the society, you don't really need uh, those censorship because they, they would just do it. They would, um, Mm -hmm. um do their job and uh, th this is really a uh, uh, difficult situation um you, you mm -hmm. know and 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 you know that those people um um in their own ways they mean to be good i mean you know narrow, <coughs> narrow yeah. sense of being good and uh, and if you are in the society in the community dealing with those people and those people convince you that what you're doing is not acceptable and and the if the uh, organizations they belong to actually uh, uh, are gonna have difficult time there's nothing you can do uh, you just have to go along with it and um, uh, there's nothing um, uh, you can do it's um, uh, yeah uh, it it's it's uh, I, uh, before i launch into something <laughs> Corey, yeah, you have your head oh maybe it's the, members the and uh, my hand know, that, um, has up. okay i i will just say a couple of quick things um i i think that uh one of the reasons i began uh, writing the blog then later doing the podcasts and so forth was because I, I felt this despair at the, the erosion of Western culture, art, that people no longer took it seriously and that it had been subsumed somehow by Madison Avenue, by marketing, and then later by telecoms, big media, um, all of the the platforms on the internet and what that has done to people and and the the smart you know the advent of the smartphone and and all the sort of digital technology and what alongside that was happening with with um the evolution of capitalism and so forth anyway that's you know you can go read my blog if you want but but the point is that that i end up coming back around to that in in some way with uh, with this this sort of faux left, whatever, I don't know what to call them. Um, the non-Marxist, non-communist um, uh, uh, left that likes imperialism. <laughs> That's too long a title. <laughs> Maybe there's an acronym in there somewhere. Um, but, but these are people uh, largely uh with there there none of them would i describe as erudite or or intellectuals in any way i mean you can go back 50 years and william buckley was a neo-nazi racist but he was a smart guy and he had gore vidal on his show and james baldwin you know you heard a level of discourse that is that is gone now uh people find 
complexity they experience that experience it as as accusatory somehow uh anti-intellectualism has been sold i mean george bush's shrubs election was proof that stupid is um is an acceptable uh you know lifestyle choice or something uh and and uh and and Mar madison avenue marketing uh, has become more and more about apologizing for lack of education and and being stupid and that you shouldn't trust intellectuals or people using fancy words and stuff. I mean, this is this is one of the prevailing tropes um, for for the advertising industry, uh, along with a, a kind of new cynicism I'm seeing. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean what the outcome of this is because not, you know, you sit back and think we are seeing uh, certain writers attempting to rehabilitate Hitler, whitewash Hitler and begging for an escalation of NATO in Ukraine, risking a thermonuclear conflagration and the end of all human existence People are asking for that. Um, they clearly don't live in the real world that that some of us here live in, because that shit scares me. Um, and and yet and yet, um, so deeply ingrained are these um, these kind of these kind of TV uh, screen mechanisms. They're so screen damaged. There is this crisis in masculinity. There is, you know, uh, reproduction. Uh, birth rates are falling off the cliff globally. People are having far less sex. They masturbate more. They watch porn more, but they don't have sex as much. And they're certainly not reproducing as much. There is an absolute crisis in masculinity. That's why you see hedge fund managers, I'm going to go fight in Ukraine and maybe then I will feel like a man or something. Um, because, you know, making money uh, from um, digital transactions does not make me feel like a man. I don't know. I'm just free associating here. But, but there is something in all of this that matters if we're going to try to really unpack the whole situation. Um, and, and I wonder what it is in the image of Putin and Russia, besides the basic Orientalism of it, that has so terrified um, Westerners because I'm not fully, I'm, I don't know fully. Johan? Mm, yeah, I have nothing to add except a kind <laughs> of final quote I would like to, to yes, send please. you off with. Okay. And I yeah. suppose that we're kind of, uh, yeah, burning the, the remnants of the candle here. Uh, this is from, uh, from a book by C.S. Lewis, uh, like posthumously, published in, in, I think, the 70s. And uh, let me just paraphrase a little bit. Uh, again, the new oligarchy must more and more base its claim to plan us uh, on its claim to knowledge. If we are to be mothered, mother must know best. This means they must increasingly rely on the advice of scientists and experts, till in the end, the politicians proper become merely the scientists' puppets. Technocracy is the form to which a planned society must tend. Uh, 
Now, I dread specialists in power because they are specialists speaking outside their special subjects. So let scientists tell us about sciences, but government involves questions about the good for man and justice and what things are worth having at what price. And on these, a scientific training gives a man's opinion no added value. So let the doctor tell me I shall die unless I do so and so, but whether life is worth having on those terms is no more a question for him than for any other man. Great. There you go. Um, yeah. Um, anybody else final thoughts? Um, mm, I have some. <laughs> yeah. I'll just touch base while this is all happening and while we all thought about if masks worked or not over two years, which they don't, they created trillions, you know, there's now trillions of masks in our waterways not, but I won't go on about that because no one seems to care anyway. Um, even though they say they care about biodiversity loss and climate, I don't really know if I believe that anymore. Um, anyway, the central bank digital currency is going ahead. Um, there's, I believe, seven uh, sort of commonwealth islands that now have it in place as of last year actually in Nigeria I believe as of November 2021 they've all launched their CBDCs and so those are I believe all commonwealth countries and I'm not sure if we talked about that last time or not um I just discovered um did we talk about trudeau yeah yeah trudeau yeah 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 so we the, yeah. The queen, yeah. yeah so we did talk about the commonwealth so anyway the cdcs are on track and they're expanding i came across this massive um really sophisticated website it's the atlantic council and they're tracking the the digital currency all over the whole world. So they've got nine launched, they've got 15 pilots, they have 16 in development, they have 40 doing research, um, two canceled and then seven inactive. So I believe 91 countries in total. Um, so we can link to that. So it's, you know, it's all going forward. And I just can't get over the fact that we're actually the ones paying for this entire infrastructure, right? Through taxation, through the theft of our labor. And not only that, through we keep, you know, um, we're, the, the keys to this open air prison that's being built are the smartphones and we buy them and we use them. And, um, you know, it's like the key to the prison. And, yep. and once you go into the prison that they take away the key. Right. Mm. And so I, I mean, I, I don't really, and it's under this woke veneer of safety, right. And health. So that's all going forward. I don't really see that being stopped because no one, you know, they got the whole nonprofit industrial complex and everybody else um, promoting it basically is this great new thing. And I don't see really beyond a really tiny circle much resistance against it. And this will be, you know, the tool for full compliance as with the globe, you know, as things further break down. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. think that um, if I had a, a word of advice for people, maybe I'm thinking young people, I don't know. It would be that if you know that somebody is a billionaire, you should not listen to them. <laughs> Just that simple across the board. Anybody who is a billionaire is a bad person, period, full stop. Okay. Thank you, Corey. 
Thank you, Hiroyuki. Thank you, Johan. I hope very much Varun can make it next time. Um, and uh, thanks to, to Jack Littman, uh, Boy Wonder in LA. Okay, talk to you all soon. Bye. Thank you, John.